You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Well, good morning. Great to be with all of you, especially those of you that are joining us online. This morning, Sam does not need any introduction. Many of you know Sam. He's our lead pastor for our Easton campus. But this morning, we have a privilege. This morning, we have the opportunity to send off our Easton campus so that they actually become their own church, East Point Church. Over five years ago, there was a small seed, there was a small group of folks who felt led to have a church like Bay Area Community Church on the Eastern Shore. And from that, we started a missional community. And from that, as it grew, multiplied, we started a campus. And the intent had always been that our Eastern campus would eventually become its own church. The Lord brought Sam, raised up elders who have been serving and leading. There's many leaders. Daniel, who is leading us in worship today, he came as well. And uh, we have just the great privilege of sending. This is probably one of the highest callings that we as a church get, which is to actually send and to help East Point Church become their own church. So, and that happens in two weeks, September 12th, they'll officially have their first gathering. So this morning before Sam preaches, he's got a great message for us this morning. We just wanted to pray as a body, as a church to send them off. So would you just bow your heads with me? Let me pray for Sam and East Point Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that it's your plan, your design to reach the world through the local church. We thank you, Lord, that you planted a seed to help reach the Eastern Shore and beyond by starting off just a missional community that led to a campus that's now a church. Jesus, would your hand rest upon Sam and the leadership of East Point Church? Uh, would you use them, Lord, to be a lighthouse, a witness to the entire Eastern Shore that many, many, many would come to know you, both uh, in Easton and around the world? We thank you for Sam. We thank you for his giftedness. We thank you for his passion. We thank you for the body in Easton that you have raised up that have been so faithful to serve. Lord, let your favor rest upon them. Let your grace rest upon them and your power to work mightily through them. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. God bless you. Brant. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Bay Area Community Church. How are you? I bring greetings and tidings from the folk over on the other side of the bay, uh, the beautiful campus of Easton. And so for the last several weeks, you know, or months really, I've been saying good morning, Easton campus to them. And, and I've said, because of the power invested in me, you know, I can't say good morning, new church until September 12th. So when you guys are gathering here on September 12th, just know that I will be greeting our church by their new name, how we will be known for the rest of eternity, perhaps, who knows. Uh, but it's just good to be with you guys. Uh, I was here last week, or, or last month rather, and it is such a treat to preach, to open up this book, and to communicate to a congregation that is so enthusiastic and hungry and receptive to this message. And so thank you for having me again. Uh, our people are so, so, so appreciative and grateful for this congregation. So we love you. You guys are near and dear to our heart. Uh, right now, we're, we're kind of a, uh, we're a campus. You know, I mean, we're, we're a satellite but pretty soon we're going to be sister churches here. Isn't that cool? Sister churches working together uh, to reach the kingdom. So um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 28. You can open up your phone and scroll there, your iPad, your Bible, whatever you got. Uh, but as you turn there, I actually want to begin this morning uh, sharing a little bit of my story. 
Uh, and I'm going to do this so that you can get to know me, but also because I, I think part of my story is going to help us understand uh, our passage this morning. And so it all started back in the day, August 11th, 1990, and I was born. That's right. What was that? Did you hear that audible groan? Oh, man. All right. Judge much? So, uh, no, I was... <laughs> hey, at least I didn't say, okay, boomer. Come on now. All right. Anyway, we digress. Anyway, I was born. I was born. Hold the groans. I was born. And um, I, I was born be, uh, with, with drugs in my system. Okay. My mother was an abuser during the entire pregnancy, and so I was born with crack cocaine in my system, which meant that I was addicted to drugs. And so I would have to go through withdrawals, and it was a long journey. And so obviously I didn't stay with my mother. I was taken by the authorities away from my mother, put into the system, and at 11 days old, I was brought into the Cassis household. Ralph and Rose Cassis, who had been trying and praying for a child, and the Lord said, nope, you're going to have a foster baby. And so here I was, 11 days old, as a foster child in the Cassis household. And so I'll spare you all the details. I'll give you the spark notes. I'll skip over the, the court dates and the, lots of the pain and the emotion and the whole process. But it was a three-year-long process when I was three years old. And it's such a blur. I don't even remember all of it. You know, when I was 11 days old, it just, time flies, man. Woof, time flies. But, but you know, three years old now, and, and you know, this entire process has gone by, and I'm standing there before a judge. We're in a courtroom, you know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's a custody battle and all these things. And, and I'm there, and papers are signed. There's lawyers in attendance. There's notaries and, and little stenographer. All, I mean, like the works, you know what I mean? It's a big deal. And I'm there, and the judge announced, do you want to be a part of this family? I do. Is this your mom? It is. Is this your dad? It is. Well, then I declare you are a cassis. Boom. No longer Kenneth Peter Hogan. Thank the Lord, right? I am, and if your name is Kenneth Peter, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you know, like, you're like, my name's Ken. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But my name was meant to be Samuel Kenneth Cassis. And on that day, I was declared by the judge, you are now a part of this family. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. And so here's the thing about that story, right? On that day, on the day that I was adopted, how many of you know that I was never going to be more of a cassis than I was in that moment, right? Like I'm 31 right now. I'm not more of a cassis because I'm older. No, I was a cassis and I will always be a cassis. My position in the family was declared and secured. Your last name is cassis. And when all the educators in the room, when you're reading the roll, psh, your boy wasn't in the H's with Hogan, Okay. I was in the seas, and I'm still there. And so on the one hand, I was never going to be more of a cassis than I was in that moment. But on the other hand, how many of you know that I was just getting started? How many of you understand that I was about to spend the next, you know, formational, transformational years of my life with, through the love of my parents? I was going to need to learn how to live up to the name that has already been bestowed upon me. So on the one hand, I will never be more of a cassis than I was in that first moment. But on the other hand, I needed to learn how to be what I was already declared to be. I needed to learn through the tutelage of my Puerto Rican mother and my Italian father. I needed to learn this is how we do things in this family. And so, yes, you're a cassis, but I want you to become a cassis. And so I needed to learn how do we speak in this family? 
How do we not speak in this family? How do we relate to other people? How do we treat our neighbor? How do we do bedtime routine? How do we go on vacation? How do we handle the weekends? How do we do, how do we, you see what I'm saying? I needed to learn to, to, to be, to live out my identity that was already bestowed upon me by the judge. And because my parents loved me, every once in a while, they had to do a little course correction. Ah, that's not how a cassis behaves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how a cassis speaks. Hey, hey, hey. That's not how a cassis is going to act in school. Hypothetically speaking, right? <clears throat> Dude, I was, I was solid in school, but it was always those like, you know, talks too much. You know what I mean? Remember like the E's and the O's are like outstanding, excellent. And I always got unsatisfactory for like talks too much. And I'm like, this is, this is rage against the system, man, you know? And now here I am talking and getting paid to do this. That's, hey, come on now. I just thought of that. I just thought of that. Joke's on them. But I tell you that, I, I tell you that this morning, not, about, not because I want you to know my parents, but because John, the author, is about to speak to us, friends, and he's going to approach you and me as a father would his children. And just like me at, at 11 days old and just like me at three years old, you, fellow brothers and sisters of the family of God, you too have been adopted. You've been adopted. On the one hand, you will never be more righteous than you were in the moment you first believed. Your last name is now, not Cassis. Your last name is righteous. And by the courts of heaven, the judge, Jesus Christ, has declared, you are mine. Boom. You are a member of the righteous family. And you will never be more righteous in one sense than on the day you first believed. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you and your background and your baggage. He sees the status of Jesus Christ that has been bestowed upon you like a last name. You are righteous and you'll never be more righteous than you are right now. But on the other hand, you and me are in a lifelong journey of learning how to live out practically what we've already been declared to be positionally. You and I are on a journey, friends, to, to, to learn, to, to be living out the, the, um, the identity that we've been given, right? We're righteous, but now Jesus wants to actually make us righteous. He wants us to, he's calling us up to learn to live out and live up to the name that has been bestowed upon us. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we do things in this family? How does a member of the family righteous speak? and talk, and act, and treat others, and think. You get what I'm saying? And so this morning, friends, John wants to show us today, here's how we live in this family. Not because your actions are going to earn you entry into the family. You can't do that. No, no. Because you've already been brought into the family, and now God wants us not just to be in the family of righteous, but to be made righteous, to live righteous. And so my fellow adopted brothers and sisters, my fellow children of God, we're going to dive in here this morning. We're going to ask ourselves the question, how do we do things in this righteous family? Are you ready? You got your Bibles open? All right, let's dive in. Here we go. Starting in verse 28 of chapter 2. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. All right, first things first, as we pause right here, and then we're going to explain a few verses, and then we'll move on. 
First things first, John is drawing our attention into the future. See what he's doing? He's having us to look down the timeline and he says, hey, there is a day coming when Jesus will appear. And notice, his coming is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Now, see, I told you, I grew up in the Cassis family. I had to learn at a young age the difference between an if and a when, okay? Because I thought I was slick. I was like, Mom, hey, when we go out to ice cream later, can we? She's like, oh, oh time out, time out, time out. That's if. And that's a big if. We're going to parent-teacher conference. And I was like, no! <laughs> you know? And so my parents didn't realize it, but they were making a little lawyer out of me, right? And so when I hear words like when and if, I tune into those. And I'm going, ooh, okay, you said when. John says when. Jesus is coming back in the future. That is facts. That is no doubt about it. It is only a matter of time. His coming is a matter of when, not if. Now, wait a minute. If we're talking about the timeline here, if we're talking about the order of events, didn't we just sing earlier? Like, Jesus already appeared. Why is he talking about an appearance as if it's in the future when we know Jesus appeared 2,000 years ago? I mean, that's, that's A.D. in the year of our Lord, right? Didn't Jesus already appear? Obviously he did. But what John is saying to us this morning, he says, listen, yes, he came, but don't forget, he's coming again. Don't forget, church, he's coming again. Now, if you're new to Christianity here, maybe you're just checking this out or you're just kind of starting your own journey. This is what I would call like a pillar, okay? This is a core belief. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, including you and me, humanity. We also believe that we fell that we disobeyed God and yet he pursued relationship with us anyway. We believe here that God uh, instituted, he initiated a rescue mission for us that culminated in the coming and the arrival of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he lived a perfect life and then he died in your place and in my place to pay our penalty. But we also believe that he rose from the dead. We also believe that he ascended into heaven, but we also believe that he is coming back. He promised it and he's not going to renege on it because he's already given us the down payment. He's already given us the earnest money and it was the Holy Spirit. He said, here's my spirit. I'm coming back. You can believe it. We believe that Jesus is coming back. He's like an ancient Near Eastern bridegroom, right? Who he would come and he would find his betrothed and he said, you are mine, you know, and he boom. And and it's not like engagement, like today when you're engaged and you get a promise ring and it's cool, but let's see if it works out. Like to be betrothed, like it was as good as done, you know? And so the groom would say, you are mine, she's betrothed. And then he would go away to prepare a place for her. And you see the girl, she had her whole posse and she's like, oh my gosh, she's coming for me. And, and she had no idea when because like they don't have cell phones. And so they're just sitting here and they're preparing and they're waiting and they wake up every day. Could today be the day? That's exactly how they acted. I promise you, okay? <laughs> Could today be the day? And the groom would come back and he would retrieve his bride and he would take her to be where he was preparing. Jesus is coming back. He's going to come and he's going to take his bride, the church, and he's going to take us to the place that he has been preparing for us. And John, right off the jump here, John is like, I want us to start there. I want us remembering what is going to happen on that day because, friends, number one, we are to live this day in light of that day. First things first, here in the family, you want to learn how we do things in our family? Number one, we are living this day in light of that day. Welcome to Christianity. 
Welcome to Following Jesus 101. Our faith is not a quaint observance of dry, historic, or religious practices. The fact of Jesus' second coming in the future, it is shaping and informing our lives in the present. His appearing, it fills our life of following Jesus with a sense of progress and a momentum. We are moving towards something. We are going somewhere. Tick tock. It could be next year. It could be 20 years. It could be tomorrow. But it's a matter of when, not if. Jesus is coming back. And so true Christianity, it's not just remembering what happened in the past. It's living in light every day of what's coming in the future. Live this day in light of that day. And so how do we do that? How are we to live today in light of what's coming? Well, look what John says, all right? He says, now little children, abide in him. Abide in him. The, action is, the call to action is very clear, right? We wait for him by abiding in him. You are to wait for him by abiding in him. And so the picture here, we're in a series called Cultivator, and the picture is a plant. And so imagine the, the main trunk of the plant, right? The main vine, it is the source of life. It's full of nutrients and, and water and chloroplast, you know? And I, like really the plant thing is out, like sports, let's go, right? This, I had to Google for like seven hours to make sure I get the words right. But anyway, phloem tubes and xylem, it's wild, black hole, right? But anyway, the, the trunk, the, the main vine holds the nutrients and the branches, the little offshoots, they're called shoots, the offshoots, as long as they're connected to the source, they will be green. They will be vibrant. They will be full of life. But if you, if you disconnect the branch from the vines, what happens? It dies. And so what John is saying that we are to live our lives every day connected to, attached to, abiding in the source of our life. And that source is Jesus Christ. We walk with him. We're attached to him. He's the source of life and fruitfulness. And so for all the creators in the room, you're like, yeah, I get it. That's a beautiful picture. And then people like me, I'm like, but what does that mean? What does it mean tomorrow, Monday morning? How do you abide in him? What does it mean Friday night this weekend? How do you abide in him? Well, look what John says here, okay? When, when John says abide, I want to be very clear. This abiding connection, this is not just emotional nearness to God. I just feel close to God today. I must be abiding. No, no, no. It's not just devotional intimacy. It's not just a feeling of affection and good feelings toward God. No, he's very clear here. If you are abiding, if you are truly connected to the one who is righteous, here's how you know you're abiding. Then you too will be practicing righteousness. So let me put it this way, friends. To abide in Jesus is to obey Jesus. To abide in Jesus is to obey Jesus. I'm abiding in him, meaning I am staying connected to him. I am walking according to his instruction. I am living life like him. If the juice that is going through the vine is the juice of righteousness, then doesn't it make sense that all of the offshoots also are living righteous? He says, abide in him, obey him. Earlier in this chapter, verse six, he says as much. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. To abide in Jesus is to obey Jesus. And so let me ask you, brother and sister, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you obeying him? 
let's be real here. Is there any aspect of your life that needs to be reconnected to the vine? You see, abiding in the vine, staying connected to Jesus, it's not something we do once a week on a Sunday, like we just need a little hit of a, all right, that feels good. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. Every day in the big things and in the small things. We are staying connected to him. We are learning to live like him. We are saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do I as a family member interact in this situation? What should I do in this scenario? Not what does the world teach me? What do you want, Jesus? Because as long as I obey you, I'll stay connected to you. As the vine goes, so should the branches be. We are to live this day in light of that day by abiding in him, by staying connected to him and living more and more like him. And let me put it very simply. To summarize it, we should do this. Wait for the righteous one by living a righteous life. Wait for the righteous one by living, for the righteous, by living a righteous life. He who is righteous is coming back for us. And so we're going to live righteous. And so John, he tells us this, friends. He's calling us to this because he loves us and he wants that day to be completely shame-free. That's what he says. On that day when Jesus arrives, look what he says. I don't want you to shrink from him in shame. That's the posture of a person who says, oh, snap, I know I have not been doing as I ought to do. And so when Jesus comes back, we're not confident. We're not looking him in the eyes going, yes, you're here. There's a part of us that says, ooh, Jesus, back so soon. <laughs> right? I was talking with our teaching pastor this week, Aaron, you know, and we were kind of like talking to the text a little bit. And he says, Sam, it's kind of like when I was a teenager, you know, and my mom leaves me home alone. And she says, I'm going to be gone for some time. Uh, in my absence, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And he's like, Psh, got it, done. Oh, yeah, easy, mom, all the time in the world. Oh, you got it, I'll do it. And then she leaves and he goes, plenty of time. And toggles the knobs a little bit, gets out the games, you know. And who knows what happens in Aaron's mind. But before you know it, ding dong. And the doorbell rings, announcing the arrival of his mother. And in that moment, what are you feeling as you're still sitting there with the remote in your hand? Oh, snap. You're not going to run to the door like, Mom, yes! You were like, oh, Mom, no. And you shrink back in fear. And what John is saying, he goes, friends, I don't want that day to be, to be spoiled. I don't want that day to have an ounce of shame. Rather, I want that day for you to be filled with confidence. That when, the, when, the, when, the, when Jesus' arrival is announced, not with a doorbell, friends, with a trumpet and the cry of an archangel, come on now, right? When it announces that he's coming, I want you guys to look up and go, yes, he's here. And we can run to him and we look him in the eyes because we know we have been living as he said to live. We know that we've been abiding in him. We know that we've been obeying him. Let me say it a different way. We know that we've been waiting for the arrival of the righteous one by living a righteous life. And so let me just ask you, friends, right now, when you think about the fact that Jesus is coming back, what do you feel right there in your tummy? What's that? Is it, is it a, is, wait, no, no, come on, listen, listen. Is it a, is it a, oof, ah, give me some more time? Or is it a, yes, please. Yes, Lord, come quickly. And John says your reaction will be dependent on whether you listen to him or not. Wait for the righteous one by living a righteous life. And so let me continue here, right? We want our reception. We want that day to be free of shame and full of confidence and rejoicing. But that's not the only motivation he gives us. 
John is telling us how to live in the righteous family, but he, and he calls us up, right? But then he also gives us this beautiful motivation. Look what he says in the next verses. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The motivation for our righteousness is his love. The motivation for living a righteous life is the beautiful, audacious reality of his love for us. The Father, the love of the Father has made children out of orphans. Look around. Just like me, just at 11 days old, when I was brought into my family, God is that Father and he has adopted you to be his child and John can hardly believe it. Do you hear him? As, like, this, he's an old man right now and he's sitting back and you can just even hear that, that this reality, it still hits him like a ton of bricks. There's nothing casual. There's not like, oh yeah, because you know, I'm kind of in God's family, you know, big deal. He's like, he's still, even as he talks, he's like, look around, guys, look around the room. Can you believe this? See what kind of love the Father has given us. Ponder this truth. We are in the house, not as servants, who we kind of just like snuck in, but like don't actually make eye contact with the master. Any Downton Abbey fans? Me neither. Yeah, so weird. And so not like a servant. My wife does, okay, not me. And you know, and it's like, You're a servant, but don't make eye contact with the father, the master. No, no, we're sitting at the table and the creator of the universe is our father. And there is a familial, tender, beautiful relationship. Why? Because we earned it? No, not at all. What did I bring to the table at 11 days old? When my parents were looking through the catalog of babies, we're like, wow, look at this guy. Withdrawals, check. You know, tons of legal fees that are about to ensue. Oh, yeah. Man, we may even have to battle for this thing for three years. Sloppy, undecisive, and complicated. Shut. I brought nothing to the table. They loved me not because of who I was, but in spite of it. And God the Father adopts you into his family, not because of who you are, but in spite of it. Not because you earned it, but because of the love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. You see what John is doing here, friends? He wants you to rehearse this. He wants you to reflect on the staggering love of God because when you do that, here's what happens. His kindness, it woos you. His love motivates you. His grace moves you. And it brings you to the place where in your heart you are saying, I want to live for and please the one who loves me so. There's no threats here. I, like, you, dude, your boy, I do not go, do good with threats. Like if I was the preacher that was like, live righteous or else, that would like work. That would help you stave off sin until like Monday morning. And then you're back to work and you're like, ah, I'll see you next Sunday, I'll try again. Every time the Bible calls you to righteousness, it's this, obedience to Jesus is always grace-fueled, not fear-induced. It is grace-fueled, not fear-induced. Look how much he loves us. I want to live for him. I want to please him. Because being adopted into his family has changed the way that I relate to him. I'm his son. 
and you're his daughter. And so look what else he says. Not only does our new status in the family, not only does it change the way that we relate to him, it also changes the way we relate to others. Look what he says here. It says about the world, the world does not know us. Before you were adopted into God's family, before you were learning how to live as a member of family righteous, you were actually of the world's family. Every single one of us, we were living according to the principles and the practices and the culture of the world. Now, now let me define my terms here. When I say world, I'm not talking about planet Earth, right? Like a cool Netflix documentary. I'm not talking about the globe, the physical Earth. The world, when John uses it, he he means this. The world is the operating system. It's the the worldview. It is the culture and the, the lifestyle of a life that is lived without God. And so John is saying, the way that the world operates, they're not going to get you anymore. When you, were, when you were in the world, when you were on the same team doing the world things in the world's way, they go, yeah, I get you. That makes sense to me. But now that you're learning how to do things in this family, he's like, just brace yourself. They're not going to know you. They're not going to know where you're coming from. They're not going to understand exactly what you're trying to do. But friends, don't be surprised and don't take it personal. They did not know him either. When the glory of God arrived in the face of Jesus Christ, they said, I don't get that. I don't get that. Love those who persecute you? That makes no sense to us in our world system. If somebody's stealing your tunic, you give them a second one? That doesn't work in my culture. That doesn't fit in. They didn't understand the ethic of the kingdom or the ethic of his family. And so guess what? They're not going to understand me and you who are trying to learn how to live in that family. Does that make sense? And here's why you guys need to know that, friends. Because rather than wasting your life trying to fit in with the world, who already said they're not going to understand you anyway, there's a better option. And it's just to prepare for his arrival. Rather than spending your life trying to fit in. And dude, if you're my age, if you're like under the age of 40, like there is just something inside of us that says, man, but I want to be relevant and I want to kick it. And I want the world to understand that we're not just some weird Jesus freaks. And come on, man, like, come on, we're cool. cool." And that's great. But understand, there's going to come a point where it doesn't matter how far you relate. It doesn't matter how culturally sensitive you are. Like, at the end of the day, they're not going to get you, man. They're not going to get you, sister. And so as far as it depends on you, yes, engage. But at the end of the day, we're not called to to be understood by the world. We're called to wait for the arrival of the righteous one by living a righteous life. We believe that he is coming back for us. We believe that he's going to take us to be with him. And so everyone who thus hopes in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. Or we can say it the way I've been saying it all morning. We wait for the righteous one by living a righteous life. And so our righteousness, right? We're going to live out our righteousness motivated by love, but we're also going to do it in a way that is consistent with his salvation. Look at the last few verses here, okay? Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared the first time. He appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Keep reading. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Final point here for you this morning. Walking in our sin is incompatible with his salvation. Okay? Brothers and sisters, those of us who have been adopted into the family, we tell you this in love, right? Walking in our sin is incompatible with his salvation. It's incompatible with the plan that he has just instituted by bringing us in. And John, I, I love it. He's just so candid. He goes, guys, come on. Like, you do know, right? I love his tone. You, you do realize that he appeared in order to take away sins, right? Like, look at the next section. You, you, you do realize, right, that the whole reason, the whole reason why he appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, how can anybody who abides in him continue to sin the very thing that he came to destroy. Do you see how that doesn't fit? It's incompatible. It is incongruent. Now, I hear your thoughts. That was really loud. You're like, man, I just sinned like 10 seconds ago. I, I thought I was part of the family. Like, like, how many of you on the way here, right? Like, I know how it goes, right? You're in the car and like, and you're just like fighting with the kids and you're saying things. And then you step out of the car and say, you're like, good morning, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Yo, my mom was Puerto Rican, man. And I remember being like, oh, how dare, you know, because she was like, she had the eyebrows and she was like, bah, 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 bah. and then she would come in and be like, good morning. And then she would lead worship and she would hallelujah, you know. And I'm just like, what? It's like, maybe that's you. Maybe you stood out way too late this weekend, right? And you're like, man, I know where I was. You, you, you go off and you have anger at your kids and you're like, man, I just sit, like that is not the way I should speak to my family because I'm part of the, the righteous family. So am I saying that that's not for you? Let me be very clear here, okay? When John says sinning, keep on sinning, there's a difference here we have to make. When I sin, there is an errant step in the wrong direction. That's one thing, okay? I take an errant step, but then I immediately turn back and I get back on the way through repentance. There's a difference between that and a steady walk in the same direction, an unrepentant, unapologetic walk away from God. And so John is talking about the latter. He says, those who make a practice of sinning. And he says, make no mistake. If you see such a person who is an unrepentant life in the wrong direction, they are not in God's family because no one born in God's family makes a practice of sinning. They're not part of this family. They're not of God, they're of a different family. They're of the world. They're of the one who leads the world. They're of the devil. Now here's why John ends here, okay? You gotta remember the background to this book, um, the church of Ephesus, uh, they had this situation where there were some elders, there were some teachers, there were some small group leaders, the youth pastor, they rose up from within their ranks and they went rogue. They started teaching their own doctrine. They started their own blog, their own vlogs, their own podcast. And they were trying to win converts to a different brand of Christianity. And so the church was shook. The church is sitting there going, man, if my youth pastor left, if that elder, if my small group, if they walked away, how can I know for sure that I really am at the family? If they walked away, how do I know I'm not gonna walk away? And John, he brings him like a papa. He brings, he says, little children, here's how you can know. Those who are born of him live like him. Here's how you know. Those people who are practicing sin, they went out from us because they were never actually of us. And so here's the beautiful thing, church. When you pursue a righteous life, not only will it give you confidence on that day, it also gives you confidence on this day. You see that? 
right? Our pursuit of righteousness, when we are growing in our righteousness, that is a confidence-boosting piece of evidence that, yes, I am indeed in his family. I know I'm in his family because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so if righteousness is being produced in my life, yes, I'm of the righteous one. Do you see that? Our righteousness is a confidence-boosting piece of assurance. I am of God because those who are born of God, those who are born of the righteous one, they live righteous. So church, let me end with this. As you say yes to God and no to sin, be encouraged. It is clear in those moments that you are of him. When you wage war against the temptations of your flesh by confessing sin that you never have before, When you choose, I want to have transparency, not duplicity, be encouraged. It's clear you're of your father. When you hide his word in your heart that you might not sin against him, be encouraged, be confident. You are of the righteous one. When you cry out to God in prayer, confessing your sin, saying, God, please forgive me and change my heart. I don't want to speak that way anymore. I don't want to look at those things anymore. I don't want to handle myself that way anymore. When you cry out in those moments and you're choosing to turn yourself in, be encouraged. You are of him. And your righteousness is a piece of assurance that I am in God. And so church, I love you. The elders of this church love you and pray for you. And the message is very simple from this morning. Wait for the righteous one by living a righteous life. Amen? And so here's how we're going to respond this morning. Um, Obviously, every day. Every day we want to live. Yes, he can come back today. Yes, he's coming back any moment now. But I'm going to be honest. I forget. I'm very forgetful. And I say it right now from the pulpit, but by the time I get home tonight and I have the dishes to do, um, I'm going to forget. And so here's what Jesus did. Jesus gave us a visual reminder. And if you're here and you forgot to grab the emblems, just raise your hand and our ushers right here, they're gonna give those to you. If you're part of the family of God, we do this thing every month. It's called family meal. You may have heard of it as Lord's Supper. And here's what we do. We take these emblems because Jesus knows that we're forgetful. And he said, every time you do this, here's a visual reminder. We're gonna do this again in heaven. Here's a visual reminder. This is just the appetizer, but the wedding reception is coming. The wedding feast is coming. And Jesus said, I will not partake of the bread and the wine again until we are in heaven together. And so do this in remembrance of me and do this to remember that I'm coming back. And so I'm gonna invite you to open up the elements and let's partake of the wafer together. Bread represents his sacrifice. And then he held up the wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you. We are clean. We are adopted in his family because he spilled his blood. Let's do this to his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you are coming back again. Father, my prayer is that we as the bride would be ready. That we as the bride would be living in light of your return. That we would not be surprised by it or caught unaware. So Lord, would you help us to live righteous? Holy Spirit, make us holy, just like the righteous one. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. 
It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.